Okay then, so we're going to talk about Acts chapter 3, where Peter and John heal this lame man. And uh, what we're going to do is to start with a prayer, and then read the story, and uh, have a few thoughts on it, and then take the, uh, take the bread and the juice. So let's, uh, let's start with a prayer. Lord God, our Heavenly Father, we come to you to thank you from the bottom of our hearts for the Lord Jesus, and for his continued work amongst us to this day. And we pray that you'll open our eyes to your word, that what we read here might become alive for us, and we might see it relevant to us in our lives this day. We pray, Father, for all of us in our different situations. We pray for our church, for those who are here today. We pray for that garden party plan, that that will be to your glory. And we pray that you'll be with each and every one of us, really deeply inside our hearts, that we might we might have your presence and the presence of your dear Son, that we might feel his presence and that we might be spiritually minded. We pray, Father, that he will come back really soon and that at last our faith will be turned aside and at last we shall live eternally in a new world, in a world that shall be restored to how you intended it to be. Father, please go with us. For Jesus' sake. Amen. Right, so Acts 3. Peter and John were going into the temple at the hour of prayer of the ninth hour. And a man named from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily. They laid him each day. And it says in chapter 4 that this guy was 40 years old. For more than 40 years, he'd been there. Right? They laid him at the gate of the temple that is called the Beautiful Gate to ask arms, to ask money of those entering the temple. Can you spare you one change, sir? Seeing Peter and John about to enter the temple, he asked for alms, and Peter, looking straight at him, as did John, said, Look at us. He gave them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, Silver and gold have I none, but what I have, that I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. And he caught him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and his ankle bones were strengthened. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk, and he entered with them into the temple walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God, and they recognized him, that it was he that sat for arms at the beautiful gate of the temple. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. While he clung to Peter and John, all the people ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's astounded. When Peter saw it, he answered the people, You men of Israel, why do you marvel at this man, and why fasten you your eyes on us? as though by our own power of godliness we had made him walk. The God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered up and denied before the presence of Pilate when he had given sentence to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one last for the murderer to be granted to you, and killed the Prince of Life, whom God rose from the dead, of which we are witnesses. And by faith in his name, his name has made this man strong, whom you see and know. Yes, the faith which is through him has given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. And now, brothers, I know that in everyone's you did it, as did also your rulers. Therefore, repent, and be converted, so that your sins may be rooted out, so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ who has been appointed for you, Jesus whom the heaven must receive until the time of the restoration of all things, of which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets that have been since the world began. 
So, this man had been laid there for 40 years, and he was lying. Now, when Peter and John are, are there, this is just after Jesus has risen from the dead and ascended to heaven. So, all through the ministry of Jesus, this man had been there. And as Jesus said to the Jews, I taught you daily in the temple. Jesus had walked in and out of that temple so many times during his ministry. And he must have walked right by this guy, because he'd been laid there for 40 years. But Jesus didn't cure him. So, the idea that, oh, come on, God, where are you? Come on, do a miracle. Come on, bail me out of the situation. Come on, come through for me. No. no it didn't always work like that. That even the Lord Jesus walked past a man whom he could have cured and didn't cure him. Now, we don't understand why, and that is one of the tests that we have. Why do you not do something, God? Why, Jesus, do you not come through for me straight away? Why didn't Jesus cure this man? He was there. Every day, Jesus was teaching in the temple. He says that. I told you, daily in the temple. No, he walked past him. You could say that Jesus left this job for the disciples. Because, you know, Luke's Gospel was an account of what Jesus did, and then in Acts, Luke says, I wrote the Gospel about what Jesus began to do and teach. In other words, now it is for us, people like Peter and John, to continue that work. So, he saw Peter and John, and he asked for arms, like, spares his small change. Peter looked straight at him, as did John, and he said, look at us. So he wanted eye contact. You get it? Peter looked straight at him and he said, Look at us. There's a guy that like, holding his hand out. Oh, come on, give me a spare small change, mate. Spare small change. Peter said, No, look at me. Look at me. I'm looking at you. Look at me. And you see that desire to, to get in personal contact with a person. And that's, in a sense, what Jesus is doing with us. So he does look at him, and Peter says, Still for him, go and have I none. I don't have money. I'm a fisherman. And my fishing boat is up there in Galilee, and I'm down here in Jerusalem. And you see how Peter and John, they weren't wealthy people. So I don't have any money to give you. I have no silver and gold to give you. Which is a big difference to how uh, church leaders are today. Um, and there's Peter who, if you like, founded the, the church in, in practice, he said, I don't have any silver and gold. Yeah? They were following a carpenter, the Lord Jesus, who was not a wealthy person. As he says, the Son of Man has not where to lay his head. Big difference, I, I perceive, in some forms of Christianity where it's all about money and so forth. And he says, well, I don't have any silver and gold, but what I've got, that I will give you. I'll heal you. In the name of Jesus. So, he's saying, I don't have any physical silver or gold, but I've got some other silver or gold. And that is what I will give you. And you see, this is how it is that the true wealth is not silver and gold. The true wealth is, of course, relationship with the Lord Jesus. And that is what we all theoretically tick and say, yes, I agree, yes, absolutely. The true wealth is spiritual stuff. <laughs> but in reality, we live in a world where silver and gold, where wealth is the only currency. 
And we are in another worldview that we're looking at it, but it's not like that. It's not how much money you've got. It is not pension schemes or property ownership or what car you've got, if you've got a car, where you go for holidays, what kind of holiday you have, and all this kind of stuff. It isn't that. But if you haven't got the wealth of the Lord Jesus, well, yeah, that is all life is about, isn't it? You know, who gets the most chips on their plate sort of thing. That is what it's about. But we have definitely got another way of doing life, another perspective, another worldview. And when Peter writes his letters, he's often alluding to the words in his, uh, in, like, in, in his life that, that we read here. And he says, we were not redeemed by silver and gold, which are corruptible, but by the precious blood of Christ. So that was his view, that silver and gold is corruptible. But you say, no, silver and gold don't corrupt. You know, you buy a, a wedding ring, which I bought from James's jewellers opposite the venue, obviously KFC, down in Troy. When Cynthia and I got married, I did. Uh, and, and why do you buy gold? Because it doesn't corrupt, supposedly. Uh, Peter says silver and gold do corrupt. Yeah, ultimately, in X billion, zillion, trillion years, I suppose the gold won't exist. But for us in our little lives, oh yeah, get a gold one, it won't, it won't go bad, you know, it'll be last forever. He says, no, no, that, that's all corruptible. That all corrupts. Now, in the eyes of man, the gold ring doesn't corrupt. Uh, not in, you know, if you live in our little world, no, it doesn't in our little limited perspective, but ultimately yeah, it does and the only thing that does is the true gold, which he says is the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ and so he says in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth walk of Nazareth why throw that in? why don't you just say in the name of Jesus walk in the name of Jesus of Nazareth walk well, Nazareth was despised. It was despised. It was like this little country town up in the north of Israel where they were sort of half Gentile. They weren't true blue Jews. They were thought to be rather worldly and not very obedient to the Lord Moses as they should be. And they despised Galilee. And that's why they, they mock uh, the, the accent of Peter, when he denies Jesus, they say, we know you're one of, the, uh, one of, one of his men because your, your accent betrays you. Because they spoke with a very country, sort of country boy accent. And you think, why then did Jesus choose all his disciples from Galilee? That's why when they, we saw last week in Acts 2, when they stand up and preach, they mock them and say, all these men who are speaking are Galileans. They're all Galileans, they're all from up there. You know, like I said it's like if you wanted to start a great religious political movement in this country and you chose 12 leaders and, oh, whoops, they're all from some obscure fishing village up in, uh, I don't know, up in Scotland. No one from London, no one from Manchester, no one from Birmingham, no one finished university. Uh, they're all country boys. Uh, but this is God's style. It's God's style to work in this way with the very ordinary. And that's why he says, in the name of Jesus of Nazareth, not Jesus of Jerusalem or Jesus from Rome, but Jesus of Nazareth. Nazareth? And in fact, the Jews have earlier said, no good thing comes out of Nazareth. 
they're all, they're all, you know, a lot of people would say, oh, where are you from? West Croydon? Ah, they're all druggies down there. They're all druggies. They're all, they're all our kids, druggies. All the women are, you know, whores, basically. Yeah, that, that's how people might think of whatever. And it's like saying, oh, Jesus was from West Croydon. Was he? No, he wasn't. If Jesus was British, he would have been from West Croydon. <laughs> That <laughs> if Jesus was British, he would have been from West Point. From a council estate. From a council estate. <laughs> Truly. And, that's, uh, and yet, Peter loves it. He says, Jesus of Nazareth. You know? Like, if Jesus was British, right? He'd be from West Point. Right? And yet, you could have said, oh, Jesus uh, from London. <laughs> So, this is God's style. Uh, and you think, what about me? Uh, that, you know, we're all obscure little people. Have I, have I really got any part in God's huge, bigger, wonderful purpose? I'm not up to the uh, level. This is his style. Always his style. The work through this, like, you know, feeds 5,000 men plus women and children with five loaves and two fishes that were brought to him by a little boy. Mum gave him a packed lunch. He gives it to Jesus. Oh, great, I'll use that. This is his style. All the way through. And so, Peter catches him by the right hand and raises him up. And immediately his feet and his ankle bones were strengthened. Peter catches him, catches him. By the hand and pulls him up. I remember the story when Jesus was walking on the water, and there the disciples were in the middle of the Sea of Galilee on their boat in the night, and it's sinking, there's a storm, and they think they see Jesus. And Peter says, If it's you, Lord, ask me to come to you walking on the water. Jesus says, Come on. So he gets off the boat and he starts walking on the water and then he loses his faith and he starts to drown and he puts his hand up and Jesus catches he says Lord save me and Jesus catches him by the hand and lifts him up now he is doing that for a man he puts out his hand and lifts this guy up so what Jesus did for him for Peter Peter now does to another guy. And that is exactly how it is to be with us. We have been forgiven, you know, a huge amount of sin. It's all been scribbled and sorted out. And we are to forgive others. We were going nowhere, actually, in our lives, whether you're rich, poor, fat, thin, (laughs) successful, not successful, handsome, Otherwise, it doesn't make any difference. We were going nowhere, but Jesus came into our lives and rescued us. And we are to do that to other people. This is the point. So, this guy is praising and he enters the temple, but he wasn't allowed to enter the temple before because handicapped people, invalids, weren't allowed to enter the temple. And there was a sign up. That said, no women, no Gentiles, no invalids can go beyond this point. And so now he goes in, praising God. So you see how the miracle was not just 
just and they cure the guy. But he he uses that blessing to go straight away into the temple. Mm, I worship God. No, all the people are amazed. And he clings to Peter and John. There's a theme in the, in the records of when someone's cured, they want to stay with the person who cured them. You may remember the story of Legion, the, the crazy madman. Um, Jesus cast out the demons from him and the pigs run into the sea. And he clings to Jesus and he says, I want to go with you. And Jesus says, no, you stay here, you go back and tell your family and your friends what I've done for you. And that is how it is. We, we, we want to cling to somebody. But actually, in the Lord's wiser plan, he wants us to stand individually. People cling to a pastor. They cling to a church. They cling to whoever it was in their life who they think was their big, uh, big person for them. But God in his grace moves us away from that so that we stand individually. He wants us. Not us clinging on to somewhere else, but us clinging on to him. So all the people are amazed and they come and Peter answers the people. He says, you men of Israel, why do you marvel? Why do you fasten your eyes on us as though by our own power of godliness we may be more? So he's saying, I don't have any power. I don't have any godliness. Like, I'm not, you know, a very totally pious, godly person. Yeah, he's a fisherman, right? And he wasn't, from what we can tell, a religious Jew. He wasn't like a pious kind of guy. He was ordinary. This is the point that the Lord works through the ordinary. He says, no, it's not of me. God raised up and glorified his servant Jesus, who you delivered up and denied before the presence of Pilate when he didn't sentence to release him, but you denied the holy and righteous one, the last of the murderer to be granted to you. He said, we're not us. Now, you see twice in 13 and 14, Peter says, you denied Jesus. You delivered him up and denied him before the presence of Pilate. You denied the holy and righteous one. He says twice, you denied Jesus. Who denied Jesus? Peter. Peter denied Jesus. But he says to them, you denied Jesus. But everybody knew that he, Peter, had denied Jesus. And don't forget, Peter is standing here in the temple, which was like a stone's throw from the high priest's house, where, well, six weeks before, he had denied Jesus. And Jerusalem was a small place. It's one impression you get when you go to Israel, but the place is much smaller than we imagine. And I reckon that the population of Jerusalem was between 10 and 20,000. That's a small town by British standards. It's a village, it's a small town. It's not a big place. And gossip would have spread all over. And the girl, remember the story when Peter denies Jesus, and the servant girl says, oh, you, 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 you are one of them. No, I'm not, no, I'm not. And he does it, he denies Jesus three times, and then he goes out and weeps bitterly. He says, oh, yeah, he was crying like a little kid outside the gate when I busted him. When I said, you were one of them. Yeah, and I was story with him. We have gossiped all over this little town. And so everybody knew Peter denied Jesus. 
And yet, now six weeks later, this guy is standing up there, doing the greatest open-air preaching of all time, baptising 3,000 people in chapter 2. And now he's still preaching here. So, you see, it's on the basis of your own weakness, of your own failure, that you can appeal to others. And I wonder what tone of voice he used when he said this, when he said, you denied Jesus. Yes, again, he says, you denied Jesus. Well, he knew that he had denied Jesus. So I, I, I doubt he was like wagging the finger saying, you denied Jesus. Well, you denied Jesus. Not me. Yeah. And that's why he says in 17, and now, brothers, I know that in ignorance you did this. Now, come on, we're brothers. I'm one with you. And so it is on the basis of our humanity that we can appeal to people. The, the, the idea of, you know, this sort of pious, white-faced, saintly person, you know, oh, I am so righteous, I am so whatever, and I ask you to uh, repent uh, and be as pious and righteous as me. This might possibly have worked in some points in human history, but it doesn't work today. The more real, the more credible. People want reality. People, as a, a certain Australian friend of mine said, people's BS meter is a lot more finely tuned than it used to be. And he was not wrong. People don't fall for this any longer. People want, people want reality. And they don't want hypocrisy. All you read or see on the news is hypocrisy. Some guy who appeared this was in fact that. Uh, and people say, oh, well, I, I'm not good enough. People say, oh, I smoke, or I drink, or I, I smoke dope, or I this, or I, I, I'm not living a straight life in this way or the other. I understand. But you see, it's on the basis of him accepting you as you are where you are. Of course, there's room for improvement in the lives of all of us. Absolutely, radically so. But we can improve. And that's the point. And we, on the basis of just being who we are, without airs and you know, acting up, putting on a mask, that is the witness. And it is that which will bring people to Jesus. I mean, on average, someone's getting baptised from our activities here in Croydon every week, on average. That's amazing. That's amazing. <coughs> because, are we a pious lot of people? Now, Jesus comes from West Croydon. Jesus comes from West Point. <laughs> exactly. So, also, talking about denial, when Peter writes his letters, he writes to all the guys who baptized, and he says to them in 2 Peter 2, verse 1, he says, Be careful of false teachers. He says, There's a lot of false teachers out there, these terrible people. They even deny the Lord Jesus. They even deny the Lord Jesus. I said, the worst thing you can do is to deny the Lord Jesus. Peter, I denied the Lord Jesus three times. And these awful people, he says, they even deny the Lord Jesus. Did you still forgive him? Jesus forgave him, oh, absolutely. Yeah, Jesus forgave him, absolutely. No doubt, no doubt about that. But I'm saying that all the time Peter is aware of his own absolute humanity. And it's on that basis that I think he was used. Even Paul didn't baptise as many people as Peter. No one has ever really done that. Uh, 
Peter was the one and Jesus said earlier about Peter, you're Peter which means rock, we would say rocky and on this rock I will build my church now I'm not a Catholic I don't, I don't believe like what I do about old oh, Peter is blah blah but all the same, Peter was used as the rock on which the church was built and you may think, he's not a very rocky sort of bloke um, but that is who Jesus used and this is typical this is characteristic of how God works with people. So, it says, um, you denied Jesus before the presence of Pilate when Pilate had given a sentence to release him. So, Jesus comes to court to Pilate and Pilate actually says, release him. That's what it says. But the Jews started yelling, now crucify him, crucify him. Well, Pilate gives in. And I've talked about this before about Pilate's conscience that in history outside of the Bible Pilate is recorded as a conscienceless guy who would just walk down the street and say get his guys up see those five blokes over there just kill them can you oh see that woman there oh, can you just torture her to death just for the kick of it right? that he was a conscienceless guy and in the pathetic Criticisms of the Bible which you could read. One of them is that, oh, the, the, the pilot you read about in the Bible is all oh, very touchy in his conscience. Oh, he doesn't, he says, oh, please can we not crucify Jesus? He's done nothing wrong. He, he says, oh, well, let him go. And they say, oh, but when you look at history, Pilate was totally different. Big contradiction. No. History is what? Pilate was consciousness. I agree. Don't doubt. The Bible was also, it's also right. But the difference was then that when this conscienceless guy, when he encountered Jesus, oh, suddenly he's got a conscience. And as I said you, you know, this is how it is. When you talk to people about anything. Oh, it's all a bit of a joke, it's all arm's, arm's length. But if you raise the issue of Jesus, oh, their body language changes. Oh, oh, oh. They get all very funny and tight, defensive, all a bit funny about them. Yeah. Because there is this hole in the human heart that only Jesus can fill. Absolutely. And also, I don't think that, oh, he's never interested. She would never be interested in the gospel. Oh, he never would be interested. No, no. Everybody is underneath. Mm. It's all a face of bravado that, oh, I don't do all that God stuff. I'm an atheist. No, no. Nobody's an atheist. I can say that. But as has as, as rightly been said, no one is an atheist in a plane that's going down. So, this is, you, Jews, you killed the Prince of Life. You killed the Prince of Life. But a Jews can say, oh, we didn't do it, Romans did it. Yes, it was Roman soldiers that did it. But, of course, Jesus and Peter and God see to the essence that we cannot justify our sins by saying, I was railroaded into it. It was them. Oh, I didn't do it. They did it. No, he gets right to the point. You killed the priests. 
Don't give me all that stuff about Romans, did it? Oh, we didn't. No, you did it. He goes on, he says, By faith in his name, his name has made this man strong, and we'll see him grow. Yes, the faith which is through him has given him this perfect soundness in the presence of the Lord. So, he's saying, this man who was for 40 years laid at the, uh, at the gate of the temple, this man has been healed by faith in Jesus. But the question then is, whose faith? Was it the faith of the man? I don't think so, because the guy is just sitting there, um, holding his hand out, saying, give it, spare me a small change, sir, spare me a small change, spare me a small change. And Peter says, excuse me, mister, look at me. Oh, huh? <coughs> the guy wasn't even looking at people, just holding his hand out, saying, give me a small change. The guy wasn't even looking at the people he was asking. I mean, you, you see, if you go down the venue, there's that woman who's always opposite. <laughs> Absolutely. When she needs Jesus Christ, scary Mary. What? Yeah. Scary Mary. Scary Mary. <laughs> Called the Tony her name is Scary Mary. But she's pretty scary up. And the Scary Mary is there with her hand out and, and she doesn't look at you. Apart from a cussing basically, if you I mean I asked her if, can I buy you a KFC? Okay, I wasn't going to say that. That is what she said. But my point is that she's standing there, well, she's sitting there with her hand out, and she doesn't even look at you. Now, this bloke was doing the same. He was there with his hand out, spares his small change, and that's why Peter says, hey, look at, look at us. Look at me. And I don't think, therefore, that this guy had any faith. And Peter says, I haven't got any money, but I'll cure you. I'll give you the true riches. So when he says here, he labours the point, it's by faith in Jesus that this man was, was cured. He says it twice, by faith in his name. Yes, the faith that is through him has healed this man. Whose faith? Not the faith of that guy. The faith of Peter. And so you see a wonderful thing that the faith of one person can affect the salvation of a third party who doesn't believe. Now that is my point. There's another example in Mark chapter 2 where Jesus is in a house that's packed with people and it's got a, um, a flat roof. And four men bring a paralysed man to Jesus. They can't get in the house, there's too many people. So they undo the roof and let the paralyzed man down. And it says, when Jesus saw the faith of the friends, he said to the man, your sins are forgiven you. Did the man himself believe? Well, apparently not. Um, but the four friends did. And Jesus, when he saw the faith of the friends, he said to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven you. So, you've got the same here. This guy, who was there, like scary Mary, uh, <laughs> holding her, his hand out, um, not believing at all, he'd been doing it for 40 years, poor guy. This happened to him because of the faith of Peter in Jesus. So, this opens, wow, this opens massive avenues of thought. 
because it means that we can make a radical difference in the life of third parties, in the life of somebody else. That because of your faith, that person may be forgiven. Because of your faith, that person may get a totally new life. Now, I think God has structured his purpose in that way. In order to give us something to do, um, but in order to show us the importance and the value and the meaning of, of life, that I can make a difference. You can make a difference. And it's not a question of, oh, I haven't got any money, I can't do that, or I haven't got the health to do that, this, that, or the other. That's not the point. Your faith can save someone else. Now, that's why when you read Paul's letters, he is saying all the time, I pray for you all the time. Even when he was in prison. He could have said, I'm in prison, I can't do nothing, I'm, I'm locked up. But he writes these letters to these people and he says, I pray for you all the time. Yeah, because it makes a difference. If prayer for each other makes no difference, well then, what's the point of prayer? If, for example, your path with the Lord is just between you and him, well then, why, why should I bother praying for you? What, what difference is it going to make? But it does make a difference. And that's, that's what gives life its meaning for us as believers, that I can do something eternally significant for another person. Even people say, I don't know what to pray for. Well, that's because they're thinking about, what do I need? You know? I don't know what to pray for. Well, pray for me. There you go. Pray for Gemma. Pray for Kevin. Pray for, you know, everybody. You've got something to do. And man, is there a better when he's got something to do for the Lord? That is of eternal moment and significance. There's nothing else in the final analysis in this world is really worth doing, really. It's all chasing the tail. So the young girl, yeah, that'd be interesting. Oh, yeah, that'd be fun. You get as old and boring as us lot. I mean, you know, like you've been there, done that. The only eternally significant thing you can do is to save somebody else. So, he, he says it's by faith, by his faith in Jesus. And this man's been healed. Therefore, he says, repent and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and so that he may send the Christ. So, he says to the Jews, repent and be converted. Not repent and convert, but repent and be converted. Now, to convert is the same idea as repenting. It simply means to, to, to turn, basically. You turn, you repent, and you will be converted. And you will be turned. It's going to be... Psalm says, turn me and I shall be turned. This is the thing. There has to be that movement from our end. I want to turn. I want to change. Yeah, and then you will be converted and then you will be turned. Now, the, the ultimate balance between sort of human free will, volition, choice, and God's sort of higher hand is... 
impossible uh, to, to quite describe, but God has got that balance right. If it's too much on the side of, well, you've got to repent, you've got to change, well, then salvation is only for the strong-willed. Salvation is for those who've got the steel in their soul to be good, to resist temptation. But we generally haven't. But we, we repent, we rethink for all to turn. Okay, you do that and you will be converted and you will be turned. And your sins will be blotted out. Blotted out. But they, in that sense, do not exist on the, on the scroll anymore. They have been washed off. They're blotted out. They are not there. Now, that again is a challenge to faith. Because so many people live sort of in, in the, with the consequence of previous sins. And they think, oh, because I've still got the consequence of that, that therefore it is still there before God. But it is not. It is blotted. It is not there. And this is why I beg people to be baptised into Jesus, because those sins are blotted. It's gone. You may say, well, you can't destroy your own past. Well, yes and no, uh, in a sense. The most important thing is that you can get it blotted before God. That is gone. You can actually go back and, and redo the past. And that he may send the Christ. So as I take it, Jesus would be sent once, but well Peter's talking to Jews here, once the Jews repent. Once the Jews repent. At least some of them. Then Jesus is sent. That's why all this stuff about, oh, I watch this thing on YouTube or on TikTok that shows that Jesus is going to come back this year. Definitely by... I don't know, the 3rd of November, Jesus is going to come back. No. Um, I don't think there is a calendar date that is set by God. There are conditions. It's why when the, Jew, when the disciples say to Jesus, well, you know, you're going to set up the kingdom now? What's the day? When are you going to come back? He said, well, it's not for you to know that, but you go and preach the gospel. Right? Because that will fulfill the if you like the precondition. Say to a kid, if you clean your room every day for seven days, I will buy you a guinea or whatever it might be. <coughs> it doesn't mean that in seven days' time the kid is going to get the guinea pig. The condition is set. If you clean your room every day for seven days, then you will get the guinea pig. And that day may not come for another six months. <laughs> and so it is with, with the second coming. The date is not on the calendar, but the conditions are. So, it will then send Jesus, whom the heaven was received until the time of the restoration of all things. So when Jesus comes back, there will be the restoration of everything. That is going to go back to how it was in the Garden of Eden before there was sin and failure. Animals nice with each other, man walking with God, perfect environment, forever and ever and ever and ever. And that's what's in front of us. And all this is possible actually because of human failure in killing Jesus. That, 
That is what has made all this wonderfully possible. So, we're going to celebrate that in the bread and in the juice. And um, Kevin, would you like to give thanks for the bread and the juice, please? Uh, also, uh, earlier, I should have mentioned um, a prayer request. I don't know if we could do that at the end. It's convenient. Uh, somebody had um, oh, an asthma attack and they were in intensive care um, in a coma. They came through that. They've now been... Um, they're now at home. However, they're very, very weak. And they're very um, yeah, maybe at the end. Yeah. 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 Just give thanks to the bread and the juice. Yeah. Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, we thank you for today, and I thank you, Lord, that for each and every one of us here, as we partake in the bread and the juice, to remember our Lord Jesus Christ. Bless each and every one of us today, and draw us closer to you. So thank you, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So the bread represents the body of Jesus, and the cup represents his blood. Right, well let's um, give thanks for our food, and also the prayer request that um, Kevin Kevin's Kevin's fed. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the food, and we... Realise there's so many people not as blessed as we are. We pray that you'll bless each and every one of us here. Though we might be the more and more appreciative and thankful in way. And Father, we pray for Kevin's friend the, uh, in the coma, in the asthma attack, and we pray that you'll work in the life of that person to bring them above all things to your soul, which is the true riches, the true silver and gold that we have to offer. For his sake. Amen. Amen.